greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hello and welcome back to uh, Winds of Change. I'm your host and Bible teacher, Keith McKenzie. I'll be with you for this session. This is session six and uh, we're into Genesis chapter two talking about the seventh day and moving on into uh, the introduction today of God's name, the Tetragrammaton, uh, Yahweh, God. And uh, we have a really exciting um, segment here for you. Can't wait to get into this, but let's go ahead and take this right before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, blessing us and uh, helping us to understand your word. Lord, and we want to bring glory and honor to you. I want people to know you, to know your fullness and who you are. And uh, I just ask that you would bless this time. Uh, give us eyes and ears to both see and hear what the Spirit has to say to us today in your word. In the name of Jesus, I give you thanks and praise. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead, and for the first time in a long time, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. So we're, we're, we're done with chapter 1, and let's go ahead and jump into Genesis chapter 2. And if you remember, in our uh, last show, we introduced uh, the concept of the Lord God. Up till now, um, in the first chapter of Genesis, it was always God, Elohim. But now we have the, the Lord God being introduced here and you will be uh, noticing and, and, and I hope uh, to do uh, a good job of making you sensitive to certain things as God uh, reveals them to us. What you're going to find is uh, as you study your Bible and, and you get to know God's word better is, is God uses progressive revelation to help us understand and revelation certainly means uh, it just means to unveil and and so what we get is is uh, pictures of the infinite God and God is giving us you know little bits and pieces along the way is it's you know if God is light and he is um, we are in a without God we are in a spiritual darkness and if I was to take and, and you'd been in a dark room for a long time with no lights on and I came over to you and I shined a flashlight right in your eye after you'd been in the dark for a long time that would be offensive to you and that would hurt you 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 your eyes had grown accustomed to darkness and uh, if you're in that condition long enough you can even go blind from from no light and, and so what God does is, is that concept that we've discussed before, Erev and Boker, is, uh, you know, God gives us more and more light. It's like the sun comes up, okay? The idea is we get more and more discernment the more God gives us. So here we have introduced uh, the Lord God, the Tetragrammaton. We'll put it right there on the bottom of the screen. But this is the covenant name of God. This is the sacred name of God. This is Yahweh God, all right? And um, I got some really interesting uh, thing I want to show you uh, in this 
and, and, and that is built within God's name. So let's uh, go ahead and, and just pick up here in, um, you know, where we were last week. We'll just go ahead and start right off uh, in, in Genesis chapter 2. Repetition's a, a good teacher, so you will hear me uh, repeat things, uh, you know, sometimes two, three times. And, and that's uh, a repetition is, is to help you hear it two or three times is a good learning aid. And uh, so Genesis chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he, which he had done, and God blessed the seventh day, that is Saturday, that is the Shabbat. And last time we talked about uh, the Sabbath, um, Saturday, the millennium, um, and he sanctified it and blessed it. These are all pictures of a future time uh, in the future when, when God will actually, um, Sunday is predominantly Christian worship oriented. All right? Christians worship on Sunday because the Lord was resurrected on Sunday morning. All right? That's why Christians worship on Sunday. All right? Christians also worship on Sunday because the church was born on a Sunday. It was the, the, the Sabbath was, it was um, Pentecost was the day after. The, there's a, a whole teaching that we have on uh, the uh, feasts of Israel, the feasts of the Lord. But anyway, we don't want to get sidetracked off that. Let's stay here with uh, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. And um, God gives us patterns, and he's revealing things to us here as, as we go. This, this seed, remember, it's starting to sprout, and it's starting to bud here uh, a little bit. It's starting to open up here in uh, chapter 2. And uh, so God blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath, and that's a sign, okay? And he sanctified it. That means he set it apart, okay? And for the Jews, that was set apart to be a peculiar covenant between him and his people. And um, in the millennium, the, the Sabbath will be observed. And, and that's a shock for a lot of people who are Christians who, who think that uh, the Sabbath and, and, and Saturday and all the things of the Old Testament law are done away with. And this is something that you'll find that uh, the, the, the uh, millennium temple... Uh, which God himself, Christ, will build himself uh, during the millennium, will be, it'll only be open on, on the Sabbath and on the Shabbats. And so it says, uh, because in it he rested from all his work, okay, that's a, that's a picture uh, of the millennium, okay, when God will enter his rest, and as we as uh, Christians, we are admonished to enter into the rest of, of Christ. And um, so we, we want you to know that we, we can cease from striving and laboring and trying to do things in our own power to please God, which we can't. That's why we are saved by grace through faith. And when we do that, God gives you his peace, his shalom, and we are able to enter into that rest that he gives us. And, and the apostles 
you know, they urge you to enter into that rest. Okay, and it says, uh, verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, there's that first mention of Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim, and it says, um, made the earth and the heavens before any plant, notice that, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain. Okay, there's no rain as you're going to see by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6. That's the first time it rains, and it rains a lot, like 40 days and 40 nights worth of rain. It's a lot of rain, and we'll discuss that when we get there. But right here, he's saying it had not rained. He has not caused it to rain yet on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So we're backing up here a little bit, but a mist, this is how things got water, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So things were much different back uh, in the creation. And it's verse 7, And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God created everything else. Man, he creates from, from the dust of the earth. And you'll, you'll notice that science confirms this, that, um, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible, every time it, it makes a statement, uh, science can back it up. There's nothing contradictory science-wise uh, in the Bible. That the chemicals and, the, and the, the minerals that make up our body are found in the ground, just like God had said, okay? And in verse 8... It, this is life in the garden now, okay? So we're backed up a little bit, and it says, um, the Lord God, notice how this is the third reference or the fourth reference here to the Lord God. See that progressive revelation here we have. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and th there he put the man, okay, whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. All right? So we got a couple of trees here in the garden that are being highlighted. It was obviously full of all kinds of trees, but here he's highlighting that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, these contrasts, and you'll find out as you, as you study your Bible, that you'll, you'll see uh, God uses contrast to, to teach uh, a lot. <laughs> he uses polemics uh, to teach. He uses uh, uh, antithetical type of things. You know, uh, the wise man is like this, the fool is like that. You'll, you'll find that God uses uh, natural things, events, history, um, events, all of these things, God uses a myriad of things to, to teach, but they're usually, you'll find some contrast, in it, and a lot of times it comes in pairs, okay? says, so now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there it parted and became riverheads. Remember, this is all pre-curse, pre pre-flood, so things have 
probably definitely changed uh, on, on the scene. And it says, verse 11, the name of the first is Pishon, and it is on the skirts of the whole land of Havala, where there is gold. And I don't go looking for it because it, it probably doesn't exist anymore, and we certainly don't have a reference to it, but I think we can be certain it's somewhere in the Middle, re Middle East region, probably around the uh, Fertile Crescent, Iraq, Iran, that general area where uh, civilization began, okay? Because it talks about this, this uh, God planted a garden east of Eden. Now, if, if the garden conceptually, okay, is uh, the, that Fertile Crescent we were just talking about, east of that would uh, west, okay, because it's east of Eden, so uh, Eden would be west of the garden, which would probably put it in Israel proper. Um, that's just some conjecture. We just throw it out there if you're just wondering. It's not really uh, too important to get dogmatic about that type of thing. So, but anyway, this probably meant a little bit more to the original audience who might have understood where some of these uh, locations were. And it says, And the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gehon. And it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Now, Cush is probably more better understood as like northern uh, Africa today. All right? And by the time we get over into the genealogy of the nations, uh, further up in like Genesis, uh, you know, 11... Uh, that area, you will, these things will become a little more apparent, a little more important. We'll get to that when we get there. And it says the name of the third river is the Hidekel, and it is the one which goes towards east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. Now, east of Assyria, Assyria is, is the region basically today, modern day Syria, northern Iraq, Iran, and uh, the area of uh, Turkey today would be the uh, uh, Syria. So it's saying in the fourth is the river Euphrates. Everybody knows what that one is. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. So God makes man and he puts him in the garden. This is a perfect environment. Remember, he has dominion. And uh, we could... You know, think of some fanciful uh, things that, you know, maybe he did. What was he doing when he was tending it? You know, if he had dominion, okay, maybe he could just, you know, cause certain things to grow. But he obviously had a job there. And, uh, but anyway, um, here comes the first command. And it says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, notice that this is before Eve has been uh, formed. So God is giving one command, okay? to Adam, and he's telling him every tree in the garden, and I bet you this garden was big, 
but he says of the tree, and he's giving him one prohibition. Now, this brings up the, the concept of, of free will. Now, God, when he made uh, the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, angels and men, okay, mankind, men and women, uh, we have free will. We're able to choose, but if we don't have a choice, okay, if, if God doesn't give us a prohibition, all right, then, then there's no way to uh, measure our um, faithfulness, okay? So, so God puts a one, just one prohibition here, one commandment on man. And he gives them that command of the tree of the garden. You may freely eat every tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day of it, you eat of it. You shall surely die. Now, God tells him this not to, you know, like, like he's holding back because this is the way um, it's presented sometimes is that that tree of knowledge, that esoteric knowledge, uh, Gnosticism in uh, a lot of forms of, of New Age uh, witchcraft and all types of uh, esoteric knowledge that is out there, um, it's packaged as, um, you know, that, that good knowledge. And, and, and God, in his prohibition, in his command on that, was saying, hey, don't touch that because you're going to die. Not that he was looking for an excuse to punish, but he'd had to give man free will to choose him, right? If we were, to, you know, getting married and, um, you know, the person didn't want to marry us, um, where's the love? All right, so there needs to be some choice made there. Now, we could get in a big side tangent and go off, but... Uh, suffice to say for now is that God is uh, allowing man, Adam here, to do everything. He says for one thing, he says, don't touch that because I don't want you to get hurt and I don't want you to die. All right. That's why it's there. That's why we have a lot of the laws we have today. Most of them are there for our protection with our little children. We tell them, don't touch that. You'll get hurt. It's not because we're trying to keep them from having fun or whatever, we just know better than they do, and we love them, and we don't want them to get hurt. So that's what God said. And this was all before, um, you know, Eve comes on the scene. So verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was, that was its name. All right? So you can imagine how, how long did this take Adam and, and God as he, as he, you know, brought these parade of uh, who knows how many uh, creatures and birds and things and, you know... Adam was, you know, toucan. What? That one looks like an elephant, God. You know, I mean, this, it must have been an amazing process where God was uh, showing, you know, Adam all these things. 
Adam got to name these things, who knows what he was calling them back then. But we can just sometimes the wheels just turn and we just uh, we get you know to thinking that way. And so God's bringing all these things, and so it says in verse twenty. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God, notice here we still get this Lord God uh, going on. And it says, he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and this is more uh, in the Hebrew is, is, is took from his side. Whether it was a rib or not, we're not really sure. But what God did is he's taking a rib or a, a you know, today we would we would uh, say he was cloning, except for God doesn't clone him. What he does is he he takes, and this is one of those scientific uh, things that uh, verifies the Bible. Now, let me just finish this, and we'll come back to a quick chromosome uh, overview. And it says, uh, verse twenty-one, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs or out from the side and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to, to the man, okay? And man in Hebrew is Adam, okay? And we'll begin to discuss some of that too when we get into some genealogy on uh, the, the translations of uh, Hebrew to uh, proper names and places. Most of the time they're just transliterated and not translated. So Adam means man. And it says, and Adam said, God brings Eve over, right? And, and uh, Bill Cosby, I remember seeing this uh, thing he, he did. And, uh, you know, God gets to name all the, the creatures and, uh, you know, and then God makes Eve and brings him over. And you can imagine because this was the first perfect woman, all right? And remember, everybody had sinned after that, so uh, Eve must have been a knockout. So uh, Bill Cosby uh, surmises that uh, when, when Eve was brought to uh, Adam, he went, whoa, man. And uh, that's where woman comes from. Probably not, but that's uh, Bill Cosby and myself are not uh, theologians. But anyway, I thought that was funny to just throw that out there. And But anyway, this is what Adam does really says. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay? There's this, there's this going to be an ongoing theme here, and this is the institution of marriage is ordained. Okay? Jesus even quotes this, uh, you know, where he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed because sin hadn't marred this yet. And so let's, let's go back up and, and do that quick uh, chromosome uh, lesson 
that we have. Now, some people scoff at the idea that, that God made man first because a lot of the cults and, and uh, fertility cults and stuff like that see life coming from women because of the way that they're born. So you can imagine if you were uh, back in the ancient culture and stuff and you saw, you know, you didn't understand the, the whole uh, biological process that uh, we've only recently begun to understand today is that uh, when a man and woman come together in a sexual union and a child is conceived, the man and the woman each give uh, 26 pairs of uh, chromosomes uh, to, to make that child. Um, men have both pairs of X chromosomes and an X and a Y in the other pair. A woman, okay, to, to make a woman, you need to have X chromosomes to have the woman. Men would be uh, a Y, an X and a Y, you're gonna have a man, all right? And so for the, the original chromosomes, if we just had uh, a woman who has X chromosomes, we would have no Y and we wouldn't be able to get a man from a woman. And, but we do from the man because he has two X chromosomes and an X and a Y. So we're able to get both uh, a man and a woman out of a man from his set of chromosomes. Just a real brief, uh, you know, biology uh, topic there. But it just goes to show you that's another one of those scientific type of uh, facts that is in the Bible. It's implied here. And we know today that that could have happened. And, you know, God could have done it, uh, you know, any way he wanted. But there's these little things like this that... Uh, always come along that just verify the authenticity of the, the, the biblical account. So God doesn't clone, he actually makes out of those pairings and makes a, uh, a woman, Eve. And he ordains marriage, and if you remember at the end of uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1 there in day 6, you know, that God commands them to, uh, and he blesses them, right? And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And he brings Eve, who must have just been an absolute uh, knockout. And um, so that's it for uh, basically Genesis chapter 2. Um, we're going to end this uh, segment right here, this show, uh, with that. And when we come back... Um, next time, and I was hoping to get into it here, but it's probably going to take us a little while to unpack uh, the Tetragrammaton, the Lord God. Um, so come back for that next one. What we're going to do is we're just going to take a, a, a slight sidebar uh, and, and look at God's covenant name, the Tetragrammaton, the, uh, the Lord God, Yahweh God. Okay, so anyway... Let's uh, end this session. Thanks for being with us. My name's Keith McKenzie. This is Winds of Change. Come back and see us again for the next session. God bless you.